today, and this is our first Lord's Day Sunday without a crowd. Um, I'm going to ask one of the guys back there, i got two guys with me, to, at some point during the service today to take a picture of our empty crowd and me up here preaching to it, uh, just to kind of show you what this looks like and how awkward it is, and this isn't how it should be, and this isn't how it will always be. Uh, we will be back together again, uh, hopefully very soon. Uh, but I am very thankful for this avenue that we have that we can share in this way. I mean, this is remarkable to me that we may be bound and we may be uh, isolated in our homes, um, but the Word of God is not bound. Um, even this morning as I was checking Facebook before I got up here, I was watching churches one after the other, after the other, after the other, and they were preaching the Word of God. And that was outstanding to see that uh, God's Word cannot be bound. It cannot be uh, kept in one place, but it's probably going out uh, more now than it ever has been. Uh, so I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for you watching here today. Um, so today I want to look at Matthew 12, just to continue on and what we're doing. We need some normalcy, and what's more normal for our church than for me to open up Matthew and just to go verse by verse through another passage. And this passage today is very, very familiar to all of us, um, a very misunderstood passage. This passage that we're going to look at today is, is confused by many and has caused many to worry about their souls. Uh, the question that I want to ask today and, and answer t for you today is, what is the sin that God won't forgive? And this is what we're talking about today. We're talking about the, the unpardonable, unforgivable sin that Jesus mentions here in Matthew chapter 12. So I want to talk about today, and that's the title of the sermon, is the sin that God won't forgive. And if that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what will. Uh, I love that title, the sin that God won't forgive. Uh, so this, that should get you on the edges of your seat. If I had a crowd here today, uh, they, they should be sitting up a little closer on their, on their seats and listening a little bit better. They should be having their ears wide open. He has ears to hear. Let him hear what, what this passage says today. And if you're sitting at home right now on your couch or recliner, wherever you, you are, you need to listen intently to what this says today. What is the sin that God won't forgive? Uh, so let me go ahead and read this passage to you today. I hope you're reading along with me. I hope you're sitting at home with your Bibles and you're reading with me. Uh, this is, again, a great, great, great passage. Uh, ten verses we're going to cover today. I had somebody tell me this week, Josh, you can preach as long as you want to preach online. And that's true. Nobody's going to get up and leave. Uh, if you want to pause me, you can pause me. If you want to go to the kitchen, you can go to the kitchen. Um, so I can preach as long as I want. We'll see how that goes. But ten verses I want to look at today, starting in verse 22 of Matthew chapter 12. Um, and the Word of God says, aren't you glad it's not bound? This is going through the airways. Uh, I would love to see how many people are watching this right now. Uh, so this is outstanding for us. Let's, let's read the word of God together. Verse 22, then was brought unto him, that's Jesus, one who was possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and Jesus healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow, this man, this nobody, doth not cast out devils by, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. That, that's a great, a terrible accusation. And then Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods? Except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy 
shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. And those last few verses are sobering, serious words. And we need to understand the sin that God won't forgive. So let me pray, and then we'll study this passage. Father, I'm, I want to pray for everybody sitting at home right now and watching. Uh, it was a, a blessing to me to watch just for a few seconds as that song played. and People were fellowshipping and talking through comments on Facebook. So many people gathering and, and listening. And God, I pray your blessing on them. I pray for your guarding them, that you would keep them well. And God, that as we can't be face-to-face, that you would still use this medium uh, as a way of encouraging our people today. That you would let this be some sense of normalcy in the midst of what is not normal at all. So God, please bless our people at home. Please bless the preaching of your word as it goes out today. And I pray, God, that as it goes out, um, this is amazing that I can stand here in a room of three and your word can go out to who knows how many. So may you use it, God, to accomplish exactly what you've set it out to do. You have used this today, this time, to get your word into the ears of somebody. So please, God, bless it. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start today with some good news. And I know that that's something that we all need. We need good news right now. I get on Fox News, Facebook. I get on MSNBC, CNN. I get calls and texts all the time, and every, it seems like every day there's more bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. And, and I wanted to give you some good news starting out this morning. I, I want to give the guys in the back some good news this morning. I needed to hear some good news this morning, and that's where I want to start. I want, I want sweet news. I want words that, that, that I give you here that you're going to be saying amen at home to, and you're going to be saying, yes, I love that. And, and, and we need an amen button on there that says amen, amen, amen. And this is something you need to amen. And here it is. This is a great truth. We have a, a very forgiving God. I mean, if you're at home right now, I would say amen to that. That's great truth. It is in his nature to forgive. It's who he is. He is a forgiving God. It's what he does. Our God is in the business of forgiving sin. It, it, we are. We're in the business of sinning, and our God is in the business of forgiving our sin. Let me give you a few verses here that, that show you this truth, and there's multiple of these verses. We could be here all day reading these verses, but I, I found just three that I want to give you to prove this point. Exodus 34 says this, And the Lord passed by before him God showing himself to Moses for the very first time and he says as he passed by before him he proclaimed the first thing God ever announced about himself to Moses was the Lord the Lord God merciful gracious long-suffering abundant in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin you name it our God can forgive it I got you another one. Psalm 86, the psalmist says, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. Our God is ready, quick to forgive. Let me give you one more. Micah 7, Who is a God like unto thee, who pardons iniquity and passes by transgression? He retaineth not his anger, but is 
delighting in mercy. Our God not only is a forgiving God, He's quick to forgive, He delights in forgiving, and I've got ample evidence in Scripture of God forgiving the adultery and murder of David, the lying of Abraham, the murder of Moses, the denying of Peter, the drunkenness of Noah, the rebellion of Jonah, the idolatry of Aaron, and we could go on and on and on and on. A list of sins that our God is willing and ready to forgive. That's great truth. I can give you a list of things here. Let me get, I keep giving you a list, but let, let, let's go down it. Our God will forgive. Watch this. Idolaters, murderers, liars, cheaters, deceivers, fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, drunkards, criminals, self-righteous hypocrites, and even blasphemers. Have I named yours yet? Whatever sins in your category, whatever sins you've committed, our God is eager, delightful, ready to forgive those sins. What a great truth. That's the best news in the world. We have a very forgiving God. J.C. Ryle said this, that the crown and glory of the gospel is that our God forgives sins. Our message is one of forgiveness. What great news we can hear today. I mean, I could stop right there and you guys could say, Amen, 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 Amen. Our God is a very forgiving God. That's what we need to preach. I need to get up here and preach forgiveness of sin. People come walking in and they're burdened and, and heavy laden with sin and they need to know that our God is willing and able to take that sin off of them and forgive them. You say, what's the bad news? Well, you know that's coming. When you start with good news, your next step is, okay, now here's the bad news. Verse 31. Wherefore I say unto you all manner of sin, all types, sin, iniquity, transgression, you name it. God will forgive it. Shall be forgiven unto men, but. You see that word in verse 31? But. I, have my, I took my ink pen out last night and I circled it and I, and I highlighted it and I wanted that to stand out to me because that, that first part of verse 31 is the good news and the last part of verse 31 is the bad news that all manner of sin will be forgiven, but. This is the uh-oh. This is the oh-no. This is uh, We're in trouble here. There is one sin. He says here, there's one out of the, the multitudes of sin that we can commit. There's one that it says shall not be forgiven. That's serious. There's one sin that won't be forgiven, it says in verse 32, in this life or in the life to come. There's one sin that will permanently stain your soul. There's one sin that will never be forgiven. There's one sin that you can commit and you can be walking on this earth, but you can be as, as good as already in hell. So the question becomes, what is that sin? Very important question to ask. What is that sin? Our eternity, your eternity, could be hanging in the balance on what is that sin. The Pharisees here were very close to committing it. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, in the early part of his life was terrified that he had committed it. And I've had multiple people come and ask me throughout my ministry life if they've committed it. There's confusion, there's worry. So what is this sin that God won't forgive? Let's look at it and see and maybe get some clarity on it as we look at the sin God won't forgive. I'm going to give you three uh, points as we work our way through this just to kind of help us to, to break this down. And, and, and these ten verses, I want to break it down so we can understand it better. And I want to start with the, the first point, the first heading, is the slanderous accusation. There's a slanderous accusation that they make here against Jesus in verses 22 through 24. As you see here, it says that, that Jesus had a man brought to him. 
As Jesus has been walking through Galilee and, and he's had all kinds of people brought to him to, for them to heal, he gets another man brought to him here. And this man has some major, major problems. It's like when you go to the doctor sometimes and, and I'll go and, and you'll go and, and you'll sit down there and a nurse will come in with a chart and she'll look at you and she'll say, now what seems to be your problem today? And you can sit there and say, I've got this, I've got a runny nose, I've got a sore throat, I've got a fever, and then they run you out of the, out of the hospital at that point, but uh, nowadays. But you can sit there and say, I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got this. Well, they brought this man to Jesus, and Jesus is, is sitting there, now, now what seems to be your problem today? And he sits there and he says, okay, here's my problem, write these things down. I'm demon-possessed, and that demon possession has caused me to be uh, dumb, and it's caused me to be blind, and it's probably caused me to be deaf too, so that I can't see, I can't hear, I can't talk somebody brought this man to Jesus and said here's his problems and what does Jesus do with this I, I love this there's nothing anybody else can do with this man there's nothing anybody else uh, can do with this this deafness and this dumbness and this blindness and this demon possession there, nobody else has been able to help this man so they bring him to Jesus and that's where we all need to be right now there's nothing anybody else can do with our with our sin filled souls there's nothing anybody else can do with our problem in our world right now so we need to bring it to Jesus and that's what they do. They bring him to Jesus. What does Jesus do? So simple. I mean, there's, there's no theatrics here at all. They brought him to Jesus and Jesus healed him. I mean, that, that's what it says. It's like Jesus is not even hard for him. He just healed him. And it says in so much. Almost like immediately. On the spot. Powerfully. Clearly. Undeniably, Jesus healed this man in so much that the blind and the dumb both spake and saw. Jesus got rid of the demon, which was causing the, the blindness and the dumbness and the deafness. And when he got rid of the demon, everything was better on him. Jesus healed him completely, like that. It's the power of Christ. Let me give you a sidebar here. Just as, as I'm talking about healing, it's a good time to say this. Nobody can get mad at me here and leave on this. But all those healing churches that you hear about, that we've heard about for years, that if you come to their healing services and you have their, their, uh, the pastor get up and do all these little fancy theatrics trying to heal people, do you understand that those churches have shut down now due to sickness? That there's nothing they even can pretend to do with the sickness we're facing today. Only Jesus has that power. So what happens next? Jesus has shown his supernatural power. One of thousands of miracles we've seen in Matthew. And the right response here in verse 23. And all the people were amazed at this. And, and I love that word amazed. I looked it up in the Greek yesterday. And, and I saw that, that the word amazed means they were, it actually means they were put out of place. Or they were beside their self. And in our own language, that, that's what they use. They would say amazed. They were outside themselves. They were put aside. They, they, they didn't understand what was going on. And we would use it as in saying that we were blown away. That our, that our uh, wigs were flipped. That, that we were just uh, amazed and, and, and wowed by what Jesus had just done. And they, answer, they ask the question, is this not the son of David? It's a good question. They're saying, is this the Christ? Is this the Messiah? Is this the one that we should be waiting for? Is this who we've been looking for? That's a very important question because the answer is he is. And he just proved that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, with this powerful miracle. These people that are amazed are so close to getting it. The, the question, is he becomes he is 
And when you say He is, it becomes bowing down and worshiping Him and following Him and confessing Him as Lord and Savior. So they are this close to bowing down and confessing Jesus as their Lord, their Savior, and their God. They are that close. They're asking the question, is He? And then it'll become, He is. And then it'll become, oh, He's God. They're so close. The Pharisees can't have that. They can't have crowds following him like that, making that profession. So they make a slanderous accusation against him. They can't deny the healings. That's obvious. That's indisputable. Only a fool would deny it. Be laughed at if they tried to say that he didn't really heal that man. He came in with a demon, (laughs) dumb and deaf and blind. And he left completely healed. There's no denying that. Jesus did something miraculous. Even His enemies can't deny His power. They can't say He's Christ. If they do that, they admit they're wrong. If they do that, they'll have to bow down and say He's God. And they're out of business. So they can't do that. So what do they do? Look what they say. Verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow, this nobody, they're degrading him. The crowds are thinking of Jesus up here. Getting to the point where they say he's God. And the Pharisees start slandering him to bring him down. This fellow, this man, not God, they keep bringing him down. And it goes all the way down into the dirt. This man doth not cast out devils. He casts out devils by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. You see that? It's not God doing these things. It's Satan doing these things. And not just Satan, but Beelzebub. You say, what, is that, what does that name mean? The name means the Lord of the flies. Or you could say the Lord of dung. I don't want to give you a too vivid of a picture of this today. But you know where flies fly around. Dung. And this is saying he is not God. He is the God of the flies. They're taking Jesus who was way up here. Amazing. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. And they're bringing him down here to a level of not the son of God, but the son of Satan. He's doing it by some voodoo or black magic, wizardry. He's not from heaven, he's from hell. This is a slanderous accusation. This is wicked, pure evil. Slandering him to make him look bad, to ruin him, to destroy him. In the people's eyes who were amazed, and they're trying to pull them back and say, no, 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 don't think of him that highly. You've got to think of him very, very lowly. He's not from God. He's not God. He's not from heaven. That's not the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power of the Lord of the Flies. When they say that, it's satanic because Satan is a slander and accuser. It's, it, when they say that, it's, it's, it's like you can smell hell on their breath. What they're doing here is bringing Jesus down so they can lift themselves up. And it's tragic. This is one of the most tragic verses in the Bible. Because they have so far, if you follow with us in Matthew, they've questioned him, they've doubted him, they've criticized him. But now they're about to cross the line. Now 
They're going to say something and do something that there's no coming back from. They are this close to committing the sin that God won't forgive. They are willingly, defiantly, and finally rejecting Christ with full light and revelation. This is a tragic moment in verse 24. I, I drew a line there just to, to picture the Pharisees are at that line. They're so close to taking their foot and stepping over the line and saying, there's no coming back from this. All because of what they're accusing Jesus of. We need to be very careful. We don't cross that line. And I say we, unbelievers, crossing that line. So we go from the slanderous accusation to Jesus' simple answer. The slanderous accusation of the Pharisees, now Jesus gives a simple answer. And I love this because his answer destroys their accusation. It says, I love verse 25, and Jesus knew their thoughts. I mean, let's not skip over that. We can easily just go through that and say, okay, Jesus is reading their minds. But if you read this passage in Luke, if you read it in Mark, you'll see that Jesus wasn't standing right there with them when they said this. Jesus wasn't around them. Jesus was away from them, probably even in a house somewhere. And and they're outside talking to the crowds. And Jesus didn't hear what they said. He read their minds. I mean, if this isn't another in their face reality that Jesus is God. I don't know what is. There's no hiding this. And then Jesus goes face to face with them. And he gives them his argument. He gives them his answer. And by the time he's done with these verses, and the same thing with you here today, by the time he's done with these verses here, you're going to see his argument, you're going to hear his answer, and you're going to say, there's no way he's doing this by the power of Satan. He must be God. His answer is is beautiful. His answer is is powerful. There's no denying this here. We're going to say at the end of these verses, there's no way that this is the power of Satan. It must be the power of God. So if you see his answer and you hear his argument, then all of us can bow down and say, is he? Yes, he is. Oh my! Is he God? Yes, he is. Oh my! And we bow and worship and submit to him. So let's, let's look at his answer. And we'll go through these fairly quickly. I think we're doing okay on time. It don't matter. <laughs> you guys are bored anyway, right? <laughs> Nothing else to do at home. Why not watch the preacher for two hours? <laughs> I need a laugh track in here. That's one of my ideas while I'm, while I'm away. I'm going to create a church laugh track. That when I say a joke, it'll say, ah, you know, everybody laugh. There'll be a cough, there'll be a baby cry. You know, just... Let's look at this, his answer. First answer, he says in verse 25, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How shall his kingdom stand? This is just a common sense defense here. I mean, this is just, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand what's going on here. He says, come on, guys. I mean, would a kingdom, if you had a kingdom, can a kingdom, get this. I mean, this is, this is easy. If you have a kingdom and it's divided where there's half on this side and half on this side and they're fighting each other, is that kingdom going to stand? And the answer is common sense. No. If you've got a house, it says here that in that house you've got the husband and he's fighting against the wife and you've got, a, you've got a couple kids over here and a couple kids over here and a dog over here and, and you're fighting against each other. Is that house going to make it? No. 
He even says a city. If they're divided against itself, that city's going to crumble and fall. Let me give you a couple for our nation. In our nation, and it's been that way for a while now, I'm no political expert. Jesus makes the point here. If a country is divided against itself and fighting and at each other's throat, will that country survive? Common sense says no. Don't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. How about this in a church? If you have half over here and I have zero over here, zero over here, and zero over here, so we can't do that here, but if there were people here, we'd, we'd, we'd do it. But if, I, if you had half your church over here fighting against half your church over here, even a division of 80 versus 20, if that's happening, will that church survive? And the answer is no. Common sense. So his answer is, do you think Satan is going to fight his demons? Do you think Satan wants to fight against his own people, his own followers, his own cohorts? The answer is no. Will Satan cast out his own self? I mean, that's what Jesus just did to this man. He went and cast out a demon out of this man. Is Satan going to go and, and cast out Satan by the, the power of Satan? That just doesn't make any sense. His kingdom wouldn't stand. That's just, that's just dumb. That would be like me trying to throw myself out of my own house. I'll give you an even better one. That would be like Donald Trump going into the voting booth and voting for Joe Biden. That's just not, not, not going to make any sense. Satan is not going to fight against Satan. So it's a, it's a good argument. He gives you another one. He says not only is it common sense, but what you're doing is, is a contradiction. Look what he says in verse 27. And if by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. You say, what does that mean? The Pharisees sent out their followers, which is children here, they sent out their followers to do the exact same thing. They'd say if somebody was demon-possessed, they'd send out their disciples, their followers, those that were listening to them and following them. They'd say, you go out there and you cast out the demons. And, and they would go out there and they'd perform some kind of exorcism, trying to cast out demons. And if somehow, some way, whether it's, whether it's pretend or whether it's fake, if those guys cast out some demons, they come back into the city or into the synagogue and everybody gave them a party. There were cheerleaders saying, yes, uh, you're, you're great. You cast out demons. You did it by the power of God. Good for you. And Jesus said, now this doesn't make sense. It's a contradiction. You send them out. And when they come back and they say they've done it. You throw them a party. But when I do it. And I do it powerfully. Obviously. Clearly in front of everybody. I mean, this is, there's no light show here. Everybody saw it. And you say it's of the devil? It doesn't make sense here. You guys are contradicting each other. It's okay for you. But it's not okay for me. It doesn't make sense. You've got some kind of bias going on here. You're just biased against me. And his third defense, which is my favorite. I think Jesus just trash talks right here. I mean, this is... Phenomenal. He says, or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods? Except he first bind the strong man. And then he will spoil his house. Jesus is saying, look who has control over Satan. 
I'm not working for Satan. I'm fighting against Satan. And not only am I fighting against Satan, but I'm winning against Satan. And he uses this illustration and he says, if you're going to steal from a man's house, if somebody wants to come to my house and steal my stuff, I'm not going to sit there and watch them do it. They come crawling through one of my windows. I've got a German shepherd that's going to bite their leg off first. And if they get past the German shepherd, then they've got the strong man. <laughs> I'm the strong man. They've got to fight me. They've got to tie me up. It says here they've got to bind me. He's going to have to enter in the strong man's house to spoil his good. He's going to have to bind the strong man. He's going to have to tie me up before he can take my stuff. That's just reality. And Jesus says, if I'm going to go in and cast out demons, if I'm going to go in and, and, and spoil the demonic power, I'm going to have to go in and bind. I like this. I'm going to have to control. I'm going to have to tie up. I'm going to have to, to bind Satan himself. So I'm not fighting with Satan. I'm fighting against Satan. I'm fighting, so much fighting against Satan that I have the power to bind Satan, to control Satan, to keep him on the side so he can do nothing while I cast out his demons it's another good sidebar I don't have the power I'm not strong enough to bind Satan we need to quit saying that I hear it all the time I bind you Satan I bind you Satan I bind you Satan it doesn't work you can't bind Satan there's only one strong enough to bind the strong man I'm going to say it this way and I, this isn't even in my notes I just want to get it out there this may get people we may go from 100 followers on this right now to 50 and that's okay. <laughs> we hear that terminology, bind Satan, bind Satan. Do we realize how powerful and strong Satan is? You have the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the next most powerful, and he's not even near that. Let's put, let's put God at the highest peak in the world and Satan way down at the bottom. But he is the next most powerful being in, in the world. Do you know where we are on this? I have no power at all. I can't bind him. Only God can bind Satan. And Jesus is saying here, I'm not working for him. I'm working against him. I'm binding him. I'm controlling him. And understand this, Jesus even now controls Satan. Uh, I think it's Martin Luther said that Satan is on God's leash. And then he controls him. He won't let him go any further than he wants him to go. And he will bind him in Revelation and throw him in a pit for a thousand years. And then let him back out and then cast him into the lake of fire for all eternity. I mean, this, is, this is complete control over Satan. He's not fighting with. He's fighting against. And he's winning. That's, that's, that's a good argument. So if it's not clear to you now which side Jesus is on, it never will be. Because now he says there's only two sides you can come to. There's only two conclusions. There's only two options, he says here. Verse 24. You can say what the Pharisees say and say that I cast out demons by Satan. You can say that, but I've just made two, three great arguments that it's not. Or you can say what verse 28 says. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then, then the kingdom of God has come. It's one or the other. He's done some supernatural things. And you can either say it's by the power of Satan or it's by the power of the Spirit. It's one or the other. And Jesus just made it abundantly clear that he's not doing these things by the power of Satan. 
So the only logical conclusion is he's doing them by the power of God. And in verse 30, he says, you're going to have to make a decision on this. Which side are you on? Is it Satan? Is he of the power of Satan or is he of the power of the Spirit? Which side are you on? He says in verse 30, he that is not with me is against me. So you, you can sit there and say, well, I, it may not be Satan. I'm not going to go that far. But if you don't say it's the power of God, then you're not with him. He says that. He that is not with me is, is against me. Everybody on his side says it's of the Spirit. Get this. We say that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And everybody on his side. Is he? Yes, he is. And we bow and we worship Jesus as the Son of God. You're either with him or against him. There's no neutrality. There's no straddling the fence. We've got to pick one. What do you say about the Lord Jesus Christ? You can't be wrong here. Well, it's a choice that you make of which side you're on here. It's of the power of Satan or it's of the power of the Spirit. Whatever you say here is very, very serious. You must be very, very careful here. And again, the Pharisees are so close because they've made their minds up. They're towing that line getting ready to cross it and go in a direction that they can't come back from because they said the wrong thing about Christ. So after Jesus gives a simple answer, he gives a very serious alarm. We hear a lot of alarms. We hear a lot of alerts now. I was on my phone not too long ago and it started just beeping you look down, you've got some kind of child abduction warning or alert that you need to be on, uh, on uh, be aware of. You could be on TV right now, and the last thing you want to hear is your president come on the screen, and there's a big alert, alarm going off, because you have no idea what's going to take place today. You don't know what's going to take place tomorrow. We don't know what he's going to say. But you see those alarms come across the screen, come on your TV, comes on your phone. But this is the most serious alarm that we've ever heard. He goes back to the good news in verse 31, which we've already talked about. He says, wherefore I say unto you, and that wherefore I say unto you might as well be verily, verily, truly, truly, listen to what I'm about to say. This is very, very, very serious. Don't turn it off now. If you've been listening this long, and we are already... 36 minutes in. Now's not the time to leave. This is a very, very, very serious alarm. Wherefore I say unto you, pay attention. And then he gives an outstanding statement. He says, all manner of sin. Oh, let's just stop there. All manner of sin. This is a surprise. All manner of sin. We went over the list at the, at the beginning in the introduction of all manner of sin that can be forgiven. The sin of our youth. And I had so many. From the time I knew what a sin was. Probably understood that sin was disobeying God's commands. At a very early age. 
that I had fallen short of the glory of God. I had missed the mark from a very early age. probably five years old. All manner of sin in my childhood. All manner of sin into my teenage years. All manner of sin into my college years. And it just keeps rising. The sin doesn't keep getting better to where I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting better. Because we don't get better, we get worse. And it just keeps adding up. And there's a long list of, uh, of, of sin tallied up over and over and over and over from the childhood all these manner of sins that he that he that he knows that he records that that is written down all the sins of childhood all the sins of teenage years all the sins of the college years when we're supposed to 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 just let it go and we're going to going to sow our wild oats as they say but it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and adding up and adding up and adding up and then as you grow older it seems like you're more aware of sin and you're more aware of the the things that you do all men manner of sin of the youth of the old age sins of the mind the things that we think that we shouldn't think the sins of the tongue the things we say that we shouldn't say the sins of the body you name it it says here all manner of sin he'll forgive I love that statement all manner of sin the sins of, of my youth all the way to the sins of my old age he will forgive all manner of sin the sins of my of my tongue of my mind of my body all manner of sin you name it, He'll forgive it. I mean, comment right now. Will He? Yes. Will He? Yes. The answer is yes. And it even says, and blasphemy. He, has, he keeps saying, okay, somebody's going to comment, and blasphemy? Yes. Look what He says. I mean, He says that there. All manner of sin and blasphemy. <laughs> you say, what's blasphemy? Speaking evil of God. Speaking things that, that aren't true about God. Paul himself said, and I was a blasphemer. I was. And God forgave me. He'll even forgive that. I heard a preacher say the other day, you want to hear some blasphemy? I'll give you some blasphemy. I heard a preacher say the other day, out of his mouth from the pulpit. Nobody you know, just, just somebody, somebody got tweeted and I wanted to hear what he said. And I was appalled by it. It was his blasphemous. Talking about this disease that's going on, or this virus that's, that's running rampant across our world. And the preacher was trying to explain how God could let something like that happen. And his conclusion was God didn't know it was going to happen. Because God doesn't know the future and can't know the future, because the future's not happened yet. And God is up in heaven watching things unfold. Just like we are. That is one of the most blasphemous statements that I have ever heard. He just took God from being the all-knowing, all-powerful, sovereign God of the universe to the level of somebody like me and you who are sitting there saying, what's going to happen tomorrow? God doesn't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow because tomorrow's already planned. And it has been from the foundations of the world. None of this was a surprise to God. Not one bit of it. And none of it will be a surprise to God. We'll wake up tomorrow morning. I and mean, by the time I get done with this sermon, there could be news that broadcasted that I haven't heard yet. God knows it. Don't tell me God doesn't know. He knows the end from the beginning and everything in between. Our God is all-knowing. 
That's blasphemy. But he says here, and something like that. You said there, said that, that's, that's going very far. Saying something about God that isn't true is blasphemy. And he says here, all manner of sin, and yes, even blasphemy shall be forgiven. Paul was a, a blasphemer, the chief of all sinners, and he was forgiven. So all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven. That's, if you said something about God that isn't true, maybe as a kid, as a teenager, as a college kid, maybe you said something in your past about God that is slanderous, he says that can be and will be forgiven. I'll give you another one. You want to keep... I mean, you may be sitting there saying, what about blasphemy against Jesus? Look what he says in verse 32. And whosoever speaketh the word, blasphemous word against the Son of Man, against Jesus in His humanity. You could even say something blasphemous about Jesus and it'll be forgiven you. I mean, that's an amazing, jaw-dropping, surprising statement. How forgiving our God is. All manner of sin, blasphemy, even blasphemy against Jesus Himself shall be forgiven. What a statement. That shows the scope of God's forgiveness. How, how wide His arms are. There's a height. I can, my arms can't go that way. There's a width. There's a length. There's a depth to God's forgiveness. That is immeasurable and unbelievable. I can't measure it. You can't measure it. But I'll say this. If you come to Christ and confess your sins and believe in Him, no matter how bad the sin, no matter how bad the sinner, He will forgive you. I want to say that again, just in case you didn't get it. Rewind me. If you come to Christ, confess your sins and believe in Him, that He died on the cross for your sins, that He was buried and rose again, and that He is Lord, you confess your sins and believe that, then it doesn't, then no matter how bad the sin, and no matter how bad the sinner, He will forgive you. That is an amazing statement. We hear that and we yawn. Heard it before. There are others who hearing that shout for joy. You mean all that I've done. And that's what the word forgiveness means. A cancellation of debt. I've got debt. I've got student loan debt. I've got car payment debt. And can you imagine if somebody walked up to me and said, I will clear all that debt. Every last cent of it. I'll pay for it. Would I look back at that person and say, hmm. or would I shout for joy? Wow, what an offer. This is more than a money debt. Jesus walks up to you, and that's what he says in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, overburdened with sin. And I'll take that off of you and give you rest. I'll take it all. That all those sins, all manner of sin, blasphemy, even speaking evil against Jesus himself, can be taken off of my shoulders and placed on him. And he died for it. 
and I am clean and I am clear and I don't owe a drop. What an offer. And it doesn't just mean cancellation of debt. It also means a dismissal of offense. <laughs> that I can walk before a judge and he can have a long list of my crimes. Josh has done this and Josh has done this and Josh has done this and I can't deny it because I've done it. Josh deserves this and Josh deserves this. And if I have somebody step in and say, I'll take the punishment for him. What an offer. And one day you'll stand before God and it'll be, you have done this and you have done this and you have done this and you would have done it all. From the childhood to the teenage years to the college years and to your adult years, you've done it. And you're going to pay for it in hell for all eternity. But Jesus steps in and says, I have paid it all. What an offer. How dare we yawn at an offer of complete forgiveness from Jesus. We should be shouting for joy. So that's, the, again, the good news. All manner of sin, even blasphemy, even speaking evil against the Son of Man, shall be forgiven. But, and here's the bad news. The blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Here's that sin. And I want to take you word by word through it just to close us out here. I've already told you what blasphemy is. It's speaking evil against God. It's saying things that aren't true. It's saying things in a derogatory way. In the Old Testament, it was such a serious and heinous crime that if you committed blasphemy against God, you were to be stoned to death on the spot. That's blasphemy against who? It says there against. Who are you speaking evil of? Because if you speak evil, it says of, of the Son of Man, that'll be forgiven. But this here says, and you need to take out your pen and, and underline that, because this is who you're talking about. This is who you're blaspheming. This is, this is who he's, he's saying, don't do this. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So this is unforgivable. If you speak evil of, if you speak in a derogatory way of, if you speak things that, that are evil, if you speak things that are untrue of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, that's sin is unforgivable. And most people stop there and say, okay, I'm scared to death that I've done that. But I want to answer this question, what is that? What does that mean? Here's what it means. Jesus in his life, 33 years, he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. At his baptism, the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, came down upon him. He was filled with the Spirit. He was empowered by the Spirit. The words he said was of the power of the Spirit. The works that he did was not of his, his, his own humanity, but was of the power of the Spirit within him. Everything he did was of and by the Spirit of God. He, he was empowered by the third person of the Trinity in so much that the Spirit had put a spotlight on Jesus in the world. He is the Son of God. He is the one. The Spirit has testified, convicted, persuaded, showed the, the world that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus has, has made it clear by the power of the Spirit. Thousands upon thousands of miracles. Everything he did was the Holy Spirit saying, see, 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 heal the blind. See, he's God. Holy Spirit saying this. Healing the dead. See, 
Raising the dead. See? The Bible even says that His resurrection was by the, by the power of the Spirit. See? His teachings in the Spirit. See? And His baptism, the Spirit following. See? Falling. See? Over and over and over. Look at this. He, he is God. And these Pharisees had seen it all. Every bit of it. They'd looked in His eyes. They'd heard His words straight from His lips. They'd beheld His glory face to face. They had the full knowledge of the truth. Nobody in the history of the world had a purer gospel preached to them than the Pharisees. The Spirit had looked at them and said, See this! No other people, no other time had what they had. And now they are, get this, seeing it all, hearing it all, knowing it all. And their conclusion was, that's not of the Spirit, that's of Satan. I'll say it again just so you get it. Seeing it all, hearing it all, knowing it all. Full revelation, full understanding. And they don't say that's the Spirit in Him doing it. They say that's Satan. They call the works of the Spirit in Jesus satanic. And they knowingly, defiantly, willingly, and finally reject Christ. Jesus is saying here there's nothing else the Spirit can do. Say or show you to convince you otherwise. You've seen it, you've heard it, you know it, you understand it. And you still say no. In light of full revelation and you say no. That is the sin that God doesn't forgive. They're crossing the line to the point of no return. That when they give that final, again, knowingly, defiantly, willingly, and finally, when they give that final no, this is of Satan, not of the Spirit. They cross that line where there is no return. Verse 32, they won't be forgiven now in this life. And they won't be forgiven in the world to come. That sin of knowingly, defiantly, willingly, and finally rejecting Christ in light of full revelation will be a permanent stain on them in eternity. Now the question is, I know what you're saying. You're not even here and I know what you're saying. Can we commit that sin? Is it possible for us in this day and time to commit that sin? The easy way to answer that, and many have, said no. That's a sin that you have to be in front of Jesus and see all that with your own eyes to commit. But the book of Hebrews warns of something very similar for unbelievers now. That if unbelievers see the truth, with their own eyes. Hear the truth with their own ears. Know the truth, understand the truth, 
with full light, full revelation, even full conviction of the Holy Spirit. They can defiantly, willingly, knowingly, and finally reject Jesus with eyes wide open. The book of Hebrews warns of it over and over and over. But his readers, as they were reading Hebrews, had seen it, heard it, knew it, and understood it. And they were this close to walking away from it and saying no. And committing the unforgivable sin. This is rejecting Jesus. The best way I can explain it. I even drew a picture of it here of a man with his eyes wide open. His ears open to hear. Our heart being convicted. Eyes wide open, rejecting Christ. Seeing him in all of his glory, knowing full well that Jesus is God, that Jesus lived a sinless life, that Jesus went to a cross and died in my place for my sins, that Jesus was buried, that Jesus rose again, that Jesus ascended into heaven, that that's where he's seated right now, waiting to come back, and to make all things right. Eyes wide open to the truth. And looking at it and saying. I reject Jesus. Defiantly. Publicly. Willingly. Knowingly. And finally rejecting Christ. So that. God. Shut your eyes. Shut your ears and stops his convicting to the point where you become the man that was brought to Jesus who was blind and dumb. You can't see anymore. You can't hear anymore. You can't understand anymore. You are cut off. You're walking the earth, but you're on your way to hell. The door's shut. No more chance. The light is out. You can't see. Your heart is too hard. Let me give you an example of this before I close. Aaron Burr. You've probably heard of him before. He was the third vice president. He was a brilliant man from Princeton. And I know him best as the grandson of Jonathan Edwards. He was on campus at... Princeton, in his early life, a young man, 19 years old, and they had a revival on Princeton, on Princeton's campus. And they came in with preachers of the puritanical age. I mean, these, these guys were hellfire and brimstone preachers, and they were preaching the truth, and many thousands were getting saved. There's almost a, another awakening taking place there, right where Ed, Jonathan Edwards saw the first great awakening, and there was people getting saved, and, and Aaron Burr was one of those people that was under conviction, and, and, and he, he was in, in the services, and, and he went to the preacher at the end of it, and, and the preacher looked at him and said, you, you need to go get right with God. You need to go get alone, and you need to, make, you need to seek God, and seek Him out, and, and confess your sins, and, and believe in Him. You need to get right with God. 
So Aaron Burr went, went after the service and he got into a, a quiet place and he said, he said this, here, here's his words, that as he prayed to God, he said this, Oh God, leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. Years later when he was an old man, another gospel preacher came to Aaron Burr and said, I want to introduce you to, to a man. And Aaron Burr said, who? He said, I want to introduce you to the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be saved. And Aaron Burr, as an old man, said, told him that story. He said, at 19 years old, I told God, you leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. And he told that preacher, from that day to this day, never have I had one single desire to be a Christian. He had defiantly Willingly, knowingly, and yes, finally rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And his opportunity was up. The door was shut, the lights were out, and his heart was too hard. So now for us here this morning, there's a good chance there's someone on the other end of this phone watching me right now who is dangerously close to saying that final no. You have seen it. You have heard it. You have understood it. You know it. And here you are with an opportunity today to say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. It would be so scary for anybody watching to say no. It's scary anytime, but we are living in scarier times than we ever have before. Right now, it would be so scary for you to be at that point where it's yes or no, one side or the other. So today I urge you through the airwaves, if you believe if you've heard it and you believe all these things that we've said about Jesus, run to him as fast as you can. Like what that, that preacher told Aaron Burr, you go get by yourself. So you don't need to be in this church right now. You don't need to be in one of these pews. We don't need to play a song here in a second and, and you walk an aisle and get at this altar. You don't need to do that. It's, it's that. That's not a must. You can be at your house right now on your couch and you can get up and you can go to your room and you can sit down and say, and you're going to be like Aaron Burr one way or the other. You can say, God, leave me alone. I'll do it later. You're going to, you're going to just say no to Jesus right now. And it could be last chance. Or you can go in your room alone and you could say, I need to be saved. I've got all manner of sin that I've committed. And I do not want to stand before God Almighty Himself with that long list of sins that I've committed. I need forgiveness. Run to Him. Ask Him to forgive you. And you know what He'll do? 100% beyond a shadow of a doubt, He will forgive you. Completely, totally, entirely. The Bible says he will cast your sins into the deepest sea where nobody can ever find them again. The Bible says that he will put them behind his back and remember them no more. The Bible says he will cast them as far as the east is from the west. That if you here today, if the Spirit of God, oh, 
And I've prayed this. I always pray the Spirit of God would work here. But if the Spirit of God would work there, wherever you are. Convict your heart of your sin. Don't say no today. Say yes today to Jesus. And you'll never have to worry about committing the unforgivable sin. Say yes to Jesus now. Because there is a line when you say no one too many times. And your opportunity's up. The easy way is to settle it today. That old song says, the old account was settled long ago. Settle it today. Run to Jesus for forgiveness and he will forgive you. And you'll never have to worry about this sin ever again. If you have questions, if you have concerns, send us a private message on here. Send me a private message. Call me, come meet with me, and we will answer your questions about your soul because eternities are at stake here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time, an hour over the airwaves, um, and I pray that you, by your spirit, would um, use these words to convict and even to convert. May your spirit work. May your light shine bright in these dark times. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.